when I first started working in a prison in Toronto, it was in Milton, the warden of the prison during my like um, orientation said, the difference between people inside and outside is privilege. And I was just like, whoa, I never thought of it that way. Welcome back to Gangsters and Gals. You have Sam and Bree here. This is episode seven, where we are going to start our mental health and addiction segment, a topic that is near and dear to us and a topic that we need to continue talking about. Today, we have a very special guest, Stephanie, who comes from the world of mental health and addiction, being a frontline worker, seeing, I don't know, the damage that addiction has caused and lack of resources and just burnout, general burnout. And that's something that I think we should talk about because it's important, important topic. And we're seeing it all over, especially in a global pandemic. Mm -hmm. That's just adding to it. So I'm going to let Stephanie introduce herself. If you want to give a little intro. Um, My name is Stephanie and I am, I've been working with mental health and addictions for my entire career. Um, I'm originally from Toronto and in Toronto I was working at like homeless shelters, detox centers. I worked at a prison for a while and since I've been living in Victoria I've been working pretty much exclusively with the homeless population and so I feel um, really strongly about the issues that people are coming to us with and feel like um, we can really do better in the kind of care that we provide them. How did you, like, get into this work or get pulled into this work? You seem really passionate about it, but how did it kind of, how did um, you step into it? My my parents are immigrants. I'm a first-generation Canadian, and so they, like, went through a lot of hardship when they came to this country and were successful, so therefore had a lot of gratitude for what they were able to achieve, but really instilled in us as kids that like how important it was to give back so from a very young age I was like working in shelter type environments and food bank type environments really like interacting with people with different privileges than mine and I was just super curious about it and felt strongly about like understanding why these issues were happening to people and was quickly like drawn to working with the most oppressed and the most marginalized, which is why I started to work in prisons and homeless shelters and stuff like that. Okay, you just said the word privilege, and I think that's really, I mean, it's such an important topic constantly to Mm. be evaluating. (coughs) Sorry, chai latte. Privilege. Privilege, thank (laughs) you. Um, Yeah, just, I guess I'd like to know some of your thoughts on, like, getting... Do you like evaluate your privilege or like understanding privilege, like having worked in these environments and like surrounding yourself with different types of people your whole life? Like what? Yeah. Like what are you seeing now? How has it impacted you? Do you have any notes about privilege you'd like to throw out? I mean, I think something like 
when I first started working in a prison in Toronto, it was in Milton, the warden of the prison during my like um, orientation said, the difference between people inside and outside is privilege. And I was just like, whoa, I never thought of it that way. And I would work in the prison and I would see the same clients like on the street in Toronto the next week. And I was just like, whoa, what is going on? And so then as I spent more and more time working with the homeless population, um, I realized like the only difference between myself and my personal circumstances and the people that I'm serving is the fact that I've gotten more material and social conditions to allow me to thrive and be safe and to take care of myself and have my needs met and become the best version of myself. And that is literally the only difference. And like those privileges can look like many different things. I mean, I think um, like poverty or having access to money is a huge privilege because like Mm -hmm. you have the option of, for example, if you have mental health or addiction issues, you could go to therapy versus if you don't have that privilege, you're ending up in places that are really unhealthy for you that will exacerbate whatever you have going on. But there's also other privileges like um, there's a reason that racialized people and people from the LGBTQ community are overrepresented in like homeless populations and, and in prisons because like there's actually systemic stuff that prevents them from living a life that they deserve to live. I love you. You just painted it so beautifully. Um, And I'd like to point out that privilege has totally been associated with like human rights right now. You know, like the ability to live like a quality and safe life is totally a privilege. Um, And it's, yeah, like the work that you continue to do too, to like try to bring people quality of life. Mm-hmm. is so beautiful and it's going to be exciting one day when like it's just accessible to everyone and like not a privilege to I know. live safely and comfortably or even to like have a place to live yeah for some reason it's our like a radical thought that every human being deserves like a bed and like a place shelter. isn't that weird it's, i have that same thought process that why is having a house so difficult yeah. everybody is entitled to a home and I and it's such a weird I don't know I guess for our brains and how our brains think is we feel that every single individual when you come onto the into this world you're entitled to a roof over your head doesn't matter what that looks like and go back to years 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 you know well living in a cave like that was still a home and Mm -hmm. everybody had Mm -hmm. you know well and culturally and systemically too it's interesting to see how we've like removed houses from you know not only access but how we've made it a privilege you know like Mm -hmm. we've separated into this thing that I mean like legally is only available to like very few people realistically you know like it's hard to get a house um and most people get houses these days because like thankfully they had parents or grandparents who like bought them at some point and like have passed it down it stayed in that family but trying to get into the housing market even now renting. is like realistically smart because owning property and having a place to stay is good, but it's, it is, it's such a privilege. It's not accessible to everyone. And so people it's are not. forced into, you know, homelessness or renting and 
we all know when we rent, like we have it's you have different rights than mm -hmm. if it's your own physical space that you own. And I think people forget because they the term homeless is very broad, and I think yeah. people generalize it to one individual when it's multiple. There are people that are homeless that actually have a job, but it doesn't pay enough mm -hmm. for them to support mm -hmm. themselves. I, do you know I was hidden homeless for like a month and a half? No. University. Oh, and I think you did tell me that. And mm -hmm. then you... So it was really interesting though, because like I, it felt really weird. Like I did not have like a home to go to. Like I was living out of like a suitcase in my car and like on friends. I always had like someone's couch to stay on, which was like such, also such a privilege. Um, but it was weird because like I also was like going secure. to school and people didn't know and you know what I mean? It was, um, they are like being homeless is such a broad spectrum, especially too, because people are like daily, right? Like mm -hmm. some people are homeless one night and not the next because they get a bed somewhere, find a place to stay or things like that. But I feel like what I really noticed about homelessness too, or that I see is it's like a day to day thing and it's so hard to you know, obtain these human qualities that we like want these goals and dreams when you're living day to day. Cause you can't plan far out when you are like, there's so much more you can do with your time. Mm -hmm. If you know that you have a place to come home to. Oh, for sure. I um, want to um, talk about right now what's going on with the pandemic and specifically what the city of Victoria has done. Uh, it's, it's a very hot topic, if you will. And it's one that I think is very misunderstood by a lot of people. And it still falls under that category of privilege because what the media is putting out there. And if you look at the comments on social media, don't read those comments on social media. There's it's like no general consensus on homelessness in Victoria. But the one thing I see constantly is that homeless people are not in the narrative. No. And it's horrific. It is very horrific to see what the divide. There is such a divide and that divide has been created by humans and it's really upsetting. Um, my personal view on their housing situation is they actually created more addiction and they created an unsafe space and they've now in turn created unsafe communities. And it, the approach in my opinion was not taken or I don't think they actually worked pr with the proper organizations in a proper manner. And I sat on a board where they would constantly talk about this topic and I wanted to bash my head in because it was a lot of older people. A lot that of bullshit. Very wealthy. You know, they had very good paying jobs. Mm -hmm. And while they wanted to help, I don't think the approach was right. And... I would constantly say the emphasis needs to be on our outreach workers and the emphasis is never on the outreach workers, the front line, the people that are in the trenches dealing with it day in, day out. Outreach workers are undervalued. There is not a lot of emphasis on it and they're underpaid. Like they're not paid properly. <laughs> and all of our outreach workers are the ones that could say, look, these are the groups. This is what's happening. These are the trends. Here's who we need to help. Here's who wants help and how to actually navigate through the crisis that we're seeing. But that just hasn't been done. And instead we put this bandaid on it that has caused this huge 
like rift, this divide, this very unsafe place for marginalized individuals who, yeah, they're going to get defensive. They're going to lash out because they're trying to protect their home and what they have. And that is a tent. They're trying to survive. Yeah. And so I want to get your opinion and what it was like really working in the trenches and what you saw and the lack of resources and kind of you know, your experience. Can you actually describe the trenches a bit too in that way? Because I think that there are a lot of privileged people in Victoria who can ignore or not see like what is actually physically happening. Um, um, yeah. yeah, I think like the best way I can describe the trenches is like it's as real as it could get. Like that's as real as real life gets. I don't know how else to put it into words. No, um, I've been there and that's like, that's a really good way to describe yeah. it. Mm-hmm. You're witnessing like such such a high level of suffering and such a raw level of suffering. It's pretty, I mean, you become, if you're, if you're working in it, you become a little bit used to it, but it's also extremely hard to see people who are in that amount of pain or that amount of, um, like their circumstances are so rough and you feel, I mean, there's so many systemic barriers to getting people housed properly. Like Mm -hmm. I think with BC housing, there's like 800 applications every year and like 30 to 40 people get housed. Um, don't quote me. I don't know. I like, I I feel like that's close to right, but, um, the need is just so high. Mm -hmm. Um, but people wait on those lists for years and in waiting are like, have to go through just circumstances that no, that I feel like no human being should have to go through. No. And mm-hmm. it's such a weird, it is a weird thought. It's a very weird thought that there's no easy answer or solution to it because when you have that many applications a year, there's such this buildup and now there's, you know, thousands of people that are waiting that there's no easy solution now. Now you've got thousands and thousands of people on this huge buildup that what do we do? And organizations are tapped. They're yeah. so tapped. Yeah. yeah. And well, and on top of that, too, you have all of these people who are consistently needing help. And like you said, people addressing it or trying to solve the problem who might have never been connected to what they're trying to problem solve. And that just isn't like... Okay, that just does not make for smart solutions. Like, I don't care if you're trying to help, but to be disconnected from the problem you're trying to solve will most likely put out an answer that, you know, isn't meaningful or, you know, connected to what's trying to happen. And so now, like, you know, I know the city of Victoria is trying to build, you know, more houses for chronic homelessness, but also, are they just building a project? You know what I mean? Are you building a house for people who have been chronically homeless? and just displacing them off the streets. But like with what? What's gonna go in those houses? They don't have any furniture, are they gonna come built? They don't have any food to go in there, do they need kitchens? Like on top of that, you know, you're putting people in there, but how are you paying for this? Like wouldn't it make sense to help these people who are living there get 
jobs or you know have these other things that continue to build instead of just kind of creating a one-step band-aid solution that continues to displace mm-hmm. the new crd buildings were pretty good they like opened some were in langford some were in view royal and they yes. just opened recently yeah i heard about and they're like super nice suites and very affordable that somebody who's on assistance or pwd could be affording it without necessarily having to work, especially if they mm. are on PWD. And um, it it's so affordable that you would be able to get your food and you would be able to take care of your needs. Which is incredible. While mm-hmm. staying housed. And then in yeah. terms of like furniture, often like donations is what people will rely on. That's cool. I think through organizations, people are always giving like their old furniture. Mm-hmm. And so... I know ReStore is a good... A very good resource for that because they have the Habitat for Humanity. Well, that's what we just started doing too is I helped a, I'm helping a girl run her vintage shop. Um, But when items don't sell or when we have clients that come out, we try to donate them back to them because we get so Mm -hmm. many like oddball things. But so much of it is like you forget what it takes to build a life or a house. You know, Mm -hmm. having a house is one thing, but like having food is another thing, but like if you don't have any utensils or, mm-hmm. you know, pots mm-hmm. or pans, it's like continually this, it's a really long process of collecting mm-hmm. things um, so that you can like move about freely in your home and be comfortable and like continue to provide in that space. And it's, yeah, it, t- it takes a while. It takes, it's like a process. Is it yeah, a for sure. Process? Yeah. I'm wondering, um, I guess we're talking about the trenches. Um, you know, I think I think it takes you know it takes some strong motherfuckers to like work in the trenches, let alone live in the trenches. Um, I'm kind of wondering like what it's like for your physical body. Like I know when we were coming in and out of the prison, like I definitely had a lot going through my mind in terms of coming in and out of those two environments. Um, but like physically felt very different too, you know, like going in an environment that strips your freedom to an environment where it doesn't is, it's like weird. <laughs> um, but was also like really physically hard, I think on our hearts and stuff like that too, mm-hmm. to have to, mm-hmm. you know, even when you leave, it's with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just kind of wondering your thoughts about that. Cause I know a lot of people in this field either get burnout, get compassion fatigue or have to quit because it's like. Or take a break because it's, like, physically too hard. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't understand yeah. that if they haven't been in that field. And I'd love to hear more. And this will segue into the addiction side of things, too. Yeah. I think, like, I mean, I'm a pretty sensitive person. So it definitely affected me differently than I saw it affect other people who have been able to be in the field for way longer. But in terms of just, like, how you're, you're like, our bodies absorb people's feelings or like respond to trauma. There's so much trauma in the trenches, whether it's hearing about something traumatic that some somebody's sharing with you or breaking up a fight, which will activate your own trauma responses because you're, you get into your fight or flight or your freeze or whatever, but you're working. So you have to move through it or you're responding to an overdose, which is like, um, a very 
body involved situation where you're literally trying to save somebody's life. And then you have the like really tragic things where like, unfortunately this has happened to me a few times you respond to a fatal overdose or you find somebody dead and like that stuff like haunts me to this day. And like you, the impact of just trauma after trauma and just being around people who are in so much pain and having like traumatic things happen, like fires and tents or I I don't know, like it's just, it's all the time and it's every day and it's a lot for anybody. Yeah, I can't even imagine. I like I feel very privileged right now that I don't have to. I mean, I have trauma like everyone else, but the fact that I don't have to deal with consistent, intense trauma every single day or wake up thinking that that's going to happen is like mm-hmm. such a such a level of freedom that a lot of people don't have. Yeah. But it's not like some people are just made for that work and some people aren't. I personally like, I love it. And working with the homeless population is my heart work. And I'm burnt out because of systemic stuff, mm-hmm. not because of the hardships of the, that work. That work is very hard for sure. But yeah, talk about it, it's that. the systemic stuff that mm-hmm. I want to hear what it's like to provide like kind of band-aid solutions every day. And be able to, like, provide care, but also not be able to provide systemic care and, like, see that. Like, can you kind of talk about that, like, internal struggle? It definitely, like, wears on the soul, for sure. Yeah. And especially, like, I'm a pretty... I go into this work super justice-minded, but looking at things from, like, a super broad perspective, understanding, like, the historical reasons and the systemic reasons and the whatever the social reasons, the material reasons that somebody's going to end up in my office. And I'm curious about that. And I want to address those systemic issues, but organizations are just trying to do their best to Mm -hmm. run. And that's not really that they don't really have the time or the place for uh, to be stopping and thinking about those things. Or, I mean, maybe they do, but just in a different capacity. And so as somebody who's like so deeply committed to like, justice within this field it was I burnt out I mean it was like eight year eight years but I still you know there's there's people that have been there much longer and I don't know how they do it but I know the systemic stuff or just seeing clients like in this whirlwind this wheel the cycle of trauma where they're like they're in the homeless shelter then they go to jail then they go to rehab Mm -hmm. and then they're good and then they're in the homeless shelter again it's just like it's heartbreaking and you wish that there were more resources and there is literally nothing else that you can do that powerlessness Mm -hmm. it eats away at you the powerlessness is like something I I feel like maybe you felt it too but like very personally like one of the hardest things that I've found because I've had burnout and I've also worked in various different fields like this is a lot of the time What's so awful is that you will have really, really good, you know, caregivers or support workers who are trying to provide these Band-Aid solutions that are meaningful to the clients because, you know, they're empathetic and humanizing and trying to do this work and they get burnt out Mm -hmm. because it's so exhausting trying to consistently provide 
care that has no systemic impact or it's yeah it's so exhausting and so helplessness and I hate that so much of it means that people have to step away Mm -hmm. because it's it's like so heartbreaking to be like what do I do provide this band-aid solution forever knowing that it's like not creating change like physically but like might help someone today or like it's I hate that (laughs) and like what I hear a lot within working within criminal justice fields is the word jaded. And I don't like that term. And why I don't like that term is when an individual becomes jaded, your approach is no longer, it's not that your approach is no longer, you know, coming from an empathetic place, but you see things very differently that you are very numb to it. Mm-hmm. It's almost like they worked past that compassion fatigue past it. instead exactly. of taking a break exactly. and then it becomes normal. Exactly. That's exactly it. And it does not aid to the systemic issues mm-hmm. that we are seeing. And mm-hmm. it just makes things worse because it's not going up to the proper channels that can really make those impacts mm-hmm. on you know the system and make those positive changes and break that vicious cycle that we're constantly seeing because it's just like, oh, well, here's another case, put it through, on to the next. And that's not making positive change. It's not making positive impact. It's just continuing the cycle and it's recycling it over and over again. And that's what we're really seeing right now. What I like to believe is the people with empathy are starting to come forward. And they're starting to fight for change and we're seeing this and we're seeing the fight. And I love that. And the energy that's being put out there is starting to push through that barrier. And I think we're going to start to see it. It's going to be a fight and it will not be easy, but we're seeing it and people are starting to speak out and I love it. And they're not afraid to say, you know, how they feel and they're starting to break those chains and, I love it. And they're banding together. And I think if we continue to do that and the people that do speak out, if we have their back and we support them, then it's going to keep going. And I'm a very, like, I think everybody in this room is very empathetic and you take on those energies. Mm-hmm. Like you take on the energy of an individual. I know I can. And if someone's having a bad day, you feel it. Mm-hmm. Like you really, really feel it and it can impact you and that will aid to your burnout in that field. Uh, but I don't know, when we have the proper supports and the proper channels, then we have those outlets and those resources and we can make those positive changes. So instead of being jaded towards something, I think we need to take a step back reevaluate and be like why am I feeling this way and what can I do to change it yeah what's interesting too you guys are both talking that was almost (laughs) it was almost a word um you guys were talking about the cycle which is you know something I think everyone sees especially in this line of work no matter where it is is you know that that brutal cycle of you know homelessness, addiction, mental health, incarceration, trying to do okay, and then it just goes and goes and goes. And what's been really hopeful, you know, in our work and talking to people who are in this work is seeing, you know, people going in and trying to hit it at this one point and pulling them out into a new circle or cycle. Um, 
and it it's like inspiring to know that like you know even though you're in a different job right now I know you're doing the same work um and it's really cool to see people who are empathetic and actually trying to be helpful you know just helping someone at this point in time where they need it and helping them know that there's like a different path that they can take Mm -hmm. because the cycle it's yeah it's the cycle is addictive it's hard like pattern behavior is so hard to change habits are hard to change like that's just not easy but it's also not impossible and that's clear too but so much of the time like we just need help you know in an ideal world where money wasn't a problem and we could do anything we could make anything possible like what do you think could help change what we're seeing today um definitely like just more resources for people with mental health and addictions issues um that can kind of in some way and hopefully prevent stuff from getting as bad as it gets. Mm -hmm. But even if it does, just being able to in that space of like, for example, homeless shelter, being able to like provide like really compassionate care for people and understand where they're coming from. And, but yeah, I think like we definitely need more addictions facilities. We need more like access to counseling for people Um, people need to have family doctors and access to family doctors if they're having mental health issues, if medication or some kind of treatment is helpful for them. Like, we just need more resources. I am an educated, I went to university. I am an immigrant. I have never had a family doctor up here and I have been trying my motherfucking hardest. (laughs) And it's ridiculous. It's like... I don't know. I feel like Mike is my doctor. Right? I don't Where's have Mike? a family Mike, doctor. Where's Mike? Mike, yeah. Mike has like done more research and is more accessible than any walk-in clinic doctor I've ever been to who consistently uses Wikipedia <laughs> in front of me to Google things. For, for certain things. For certain <laughs> things. But still, like, it's like even showing up to a doctor's office Wikipedia and having someone do doctor. like Wikipedia something in front of you is like, dude, I might as well just like not have even tried to get help. And that's such a letdown because it's like, I feel like I'm in a decent place and if I don't get help today, I will be okay. But there are some people who are trying to get help and won't be okay if they don't. And it's just not there. Well, and it's not even even accessible right now because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. You're not even really allowed to go into a medical office and they've changed everything to online, but marginalized individuals don't always have access to a cell phone. Yeah. Nor can afford that. Or so internet. Yeah, so yeah. how do they access a doctor online when yeah. they don't have any devices to do so? Yeah, it's like, this so. is more accessible on your new phone, tablet. You can call a doctor, and it's like, that's cool, but... Well, and not only that, but you have to pay for it still. I think the one on TELUS is like 30 or 50 bucks or something. It's not free. Mm-hmm. And, and even even if you can call a doctor for free, if you're needing mental health help, what if they give you a prescription? Mm-hmm. What if you don't have any it's like okay cool I know I need this drug I am homeless (laughs) I like what do I do I'm not gonna get that you know I need to eat I need to find food shelter like how am I gonna get to this pharmacy across town yeah Mm -hmm. you know so one thing that we're passionate about is working together and we want to be that hub where we're not reinventing the wheel that's the wrong approach 
We don't. Well, unless it's completely broken. But unless for the most part, part you know, like a lot of people can see what needs to be done. Yeah, like we want to work with other organizations. That's our big goal: is to band all the organizations together. If we did that, then we could see more resources, and we could see some collective, collaborative ideas taking place. We could see a whole new approach to how the system actually works and the proper care because right now everybody's fighting for the same piece of the pie and that's proven to not exactly be efficient mm-hmm. <laughs> or work mm-hmm. because this is battle and they're not working together whereas if organizations started you know saying like hey we can offer this this is what we're really good at mm-hmm. perfect then I'm going to start sending people your way and vice versa. And that's something that we've met with organizations and we've talked about that and they love it. And if we just Stoke. talked and communicated about it and thought like, hey, this is what we're doing. These are the individuals we work with. Here's what we want to provide. But we're not good at X, Y, and Z. You have this. And they say, yeah, absolutely. Well, and it just makes sense too, mm-hmm. because realistically, the way that like neoliberalism has like suited nonprofits as they they are competing for these grants Mm -hmm. and crap like that but every single homeless shelter's mission should be to be housing the homeless but instead they have these like fundraising teams that are paying people to like fight for these grants which is not it's like technically in their mission but it's not you know making a direct impact that day for housing people but also when you're applying for these things it means that some other organization isn't going to get it and isn't going to be able to house the people that you're trying to help. But also it means that you're competing in a really weird way. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden your resources, you're like trying to prove that they're better than other people's and then you don't share them. And we're seeing that with like the halfway houses, you know, like they're trying to compete that they are the better halfway house, that they offer better services and resources. But when they're doing that and not sharing it with everyone in the community that needs it and that they're supposed to be serving, it's just kind of like fucked up. Not to mention, we're just using too many people. Mm-hmm. Like if every single organization has, I don't know, a graphic designer, either put all of them together and make something beautiful or like there's so many good ways to outsource so that people can like do what they want and help without being stupid. Right. <laughs> I think we need to break out into song. As a society too, we need to like, decide and reallocate funds to the people that need them the most hell yeah personally i don't know what uh but like just the whole like defunding the police campaign for example so much money goes into the police budget and they shouldn't necessarily be the people that respond to mental health and addiction 100 crises um simultaneously even they're not even always giving money to those programs, right? Like the city of Victoria said that their homelessness problem was under the beautification section, which is like totally dehumanizing. But they were like putting money into like hiding homeless people by like repainting streets or like building shelters to hide them and giving the police more weapons. You know, it's like, well, these are... Sorry, I interrupted you, but no, that's okay. I just, yeah, that's, it's such a serious problem about like how we spend our money For because sure. it matters. Yeah, it, it definitely does. And I think 
like as a society, don't you, don't we want to live in a society that cares about the people who need the most help? Like that's the kind of society I want to live in. And that's the kind of society that I fight for. And I think it's super problematic that our, our, our funding doesn't show that. Well, imagine too, if everyone was like living a genuine quality of life, everyone in society is better. It's like, not that we all have to like hold hands or anything, but if people have an opportunity to be involved in the economy, all of a sudden they are, they're going to work and then they're going to spend their money in the economy and they're going to be a part of this community instead of having two separate economies, one above ground and one underground that, you know, don't cross or mix and don't like each other. Mm -hmm. But if we have one like going all together, like it's, it would be like exponential harmony. And I think that just speaking of that, like the small businesses, if they actually fully understood it, because right now they are, they're feeling, I don't know, attacked, if you will. And well, yeah, because there's zero resources. And again, it's there's a Band-Aid solution on top of it. And they feel the struggle. And we understand that. But you would think that maybe they could also advocate for, hey, we are seeing this problem. Maybe we do need to put more resources here. Maybe we do need to relook at this. And I think the business community could have a huge impact on that like a massive impact on that because they are the ones that are generating tax dollars. So, you know, how do we do that? How do we? Well, and like you said at the very beginning and something that we've noticed too going into the prison is that like just none of us are nearly as different as we think we are. It, everybody needs resources. So I don't care how much resources you need. Everyone needs help, whether you're, you know, a successful business owner or someone on the street right now. And, like, to admit that, I think, takes courage, and to provide it, you know, is is only going to do good for the community, you know, to offer your resources to other people, especially to people who are excited and willing to take them and, you know, have that opportunity. Like, that's fucking good shit. Agreed. And it's, we've seen it. Yeah. I don't care what people say. I think that the average person has so much more in common with a homeless person than they do that than they want to realize and yeah. the only per the only reason that they are the average person is because they've had access to resources that have helped them get to where they are in life and be well and thrive and whatever that looks like like yeah honestly that's the only difference and like that goes back to privilege and I that's why like my analysis of why certain people are in homeless shelters and why certain people are not is like that. Yeah. That, that, that's what I think. It's every, every time I think about it often is like when we went into the prison, you know, it was, I didn't, I didn't know what we'd talk about with the guys originally. I wasn't afraid or anything. It was just like, what are we going to have in common? And boy, was that just not a problem. Like I think people forget that like we're all people not to mention that, like, you know, it's so possible for that situation to have been flipped. Mm -hmm. Like, I have been lucky enough to have, like, never ended up in prison. But, like, it is so clear mm -hmm. that it doesn't matter if I'm right or wrong, guilty or not. Like, there are a lot of people in that situation that could have easily been me. It can happen to anybody. Mm -hmm. And anyone in a situation of privilege who's been stuck there will tell you that, too. Because it it brings their 
everything down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. I think if people were to actually have a conversation with somebody that is homeless, they would be definitely surprised. But also, you can't judge a book by its cover. That quote will always be true because you could walk by somebody that is homeless or has been incarcerated and you would have no clue. Mm -hmm. There are, you know, different walks of life, different stages, and it all looks so different and we have to stop generalizing. We need to start, you know, looking within ourselves and then relating. And I think that will help make a big change. And I cannot stress this enough. Stop reading social media comments (laughs) and stop (laughs) aiding to the problem of being an internet troll. Just stop. Like, just stop. It drives me crazy. (laughs) This is totally a shout out to Bruce Ravelli, uh, first year, and C.W. Mills. Uh, But uh, you just said... (coughs) I think often it's it's called the sociological imagination, but there's this idea about trying to analyze a situation from the general and the particular and the strange and the familiar. And I think about it often in situations kind of like this where, you know, some things are really particular in our society and they've become normalized, like homelessness. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a thing now, but that's not something we want, but it's become so general. Um, And that's kind of weird. And simultaneously, the strange and the familiar too, like, you know, we've we've started to do things now that are familiar to us, but they shouldn't be. Um, That also, like, you're talking about neoliberalism before, like, part of it is, as a society, we blame individuals for the situations that we're in that they're in instead of understanding where did we as a society go wrong and not meet your needs for you to end up where you did mm-hmm. like people if you look at the comment section which I never do for mm-hmm. my own mental yep. health <laughs> yep. like people blame individuals for the situations that they're in which is just like not compassionate not caring not actually looking at the problem as a whole yeah, like it's and just stupid. Like the situation is obviously more complex. And you're sure. seeing surface facts. You are seeing surface facts and not looking beyond that. And it drives me crazy. Well, in a moment in time, how do you judge someone realistically by only looking at them in a moment in time? Mm-hmm. Because I would, if anyone ever did that to me, I would be so fucking pissed. And so with that individual, that's making the comment. Yeah. And I, it's, yeah, that's a whole other, that's a whole other podcast <laughs> that we <laughs> could get into. Um Yeah, so as we kind of close here, what is something that you want our listeners to take away? What is, you know, your moral of the story, if you will? My moral of the story is that in a just society that takes care, we take care of everybody's needs, but specifically the people who need it the most. And that means everybody gets their social and material needs met so that they can be healthy, be safe, have a roof over their heads, have the resources that they need and whatever conditions they need to like be their best versions of themselves. And I feel like every single person deserves that. Just to throw out there too, that's like not a radical thought. And I think it's the UN that has established a three-tier system of human rights. 
But most countries that have people who report feeling the most freedom and happiness have these second and third tiers of social and material or economic rights met. Um, and it's, it's like a possible thing, but they've defined that these social material rights, even though they're like second and third tier to you know, other human rights that we're providing are absolutely human rights. Um, and it's clear that countries have, who have achieved them you know, there's this structure to build on that, um, and that those are the next, you know, the next steps. Sam is Google in human form. <laughs> she knows, like, every definition, I swear. <laughs> it's really fun for me. All right. Well, Google in human form. Wow, that was, I'm going to, I want that on my grave or something. That Should was that be such a bumper sticker, too? We really yes. need to start that. Sam Redmond, <laughs> Google in human form, 1997 to <laughs> present. Present, <laughs> Unde <laughs> undetermined. <laughs> All right. Well, we really, really appreciate you being here and talking about your experiences uh, working with mental health and addiction. It's an ongoing conversation that we hope to continue with several individuals and that, you know, we can start some change and see where it goes from here. So thank yeah. you for being here. Thank you for sharing. I know it's just like a heart, a heart topic. So thank you for coming today. And thank you for having me. Thank you. Well, that was episode seven of Gangsters and Gals. You can find us online at Facebook or Instagram at Creative Humanizing Project. Follow along to see what we are up to in the good old community. We'll see you next time. Peace.